We'll let the boys and girls be dismissed to the children's class. If you would like them to go, parents, that is up to you. Kids through age eight can go on out, or they can stay in here. And I'm going to ask you to turn to the 65th Psalm this morning. We're going to take a break from working through Isaiah for this week and look at the 65th Psalm. And I'd like to begin this morning just by reading this psalm. So would you take a look at it and hear God's word? With me. Praise is due to you, O Lord, O God in Zion, and to you shall vows be performed. O you who hear prayer, to you shall all flesh come. When iniquities prevail against me, you atone for our transgressions. Blessed is the one you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, the holiness of your temple. By awesome deeds, you answer us with righteousness, O God of our salvation, the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the furthest seas, the one who by his strength established the mountains, being girded with might, who stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, the tumult of the peoples, so that those who dwell at the ends of the earth are in awe at your signs. You make the going out of the morning and the evening to shout for joy. You visit the earth and water it. You greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water. You provide their grain, for so you have prepared it. You water its furrows abundantly, settling its ridges, softening it with showers, and blessing its growth. You crown the year with your bounty. Your wagon tracks overflow with abundance. The pastures of the wilderness overflow. The hills gird themselves with joy. The meadows clothe themselves with flocks, and valleys deck themselves with grains. They shout and sing together for joy. Have you ever owed someone... I mean, they did you a favor, and you're in their debt, as it were. They did all the work, and uh, you really owe them credit. Uh, to do anything else would be to, to be unjust toward them, to not give them their, their due. This is a psalm of praise and thanksgiving to God, for He is due praise and worship for all that he has done. It is the only appropriate response to the God who is. Praise is due to our Lord. That's the way the psalm starts, isn't it? Take a look at the first verse. Praise is due to you, O God, in Zion, and to you shall vows be performed. Praise is due to the Lord. Now that word translated due here, If you have a different translation, it may be different. There's a number of different ways it's translated because it's a hard concept to sort of put over into English, and it's not used very often in the Hebrew Bible. But uh, it's a word that refers to a kind of waiting uh, or silence, um, as in a kind of silent anticipation of something. Like at the end of an amazing orchestral performance 
that is just mind-blowingly beautiful, majestic, and at the end of it, everyone is in stunned silence just for a second in anticipation for this thunderous applause that you know is deserved by these amazing musicians. That's the idea here. Praise is waiting. It's due. It's the, the air is ripe with anticipation of thanksgivings bursting out to the Lord for all that He has done. And my heart is just desirous that we would be reminded of all of the goodnesses of the Lord and give Him the praise that is due to His name. Who could listen to a world-class musical masterpiece and not rise to their feet at the end and give praise and glory to those who have performed. God is creating masterpieces like that all around us all the time, every day. And yet we are so accustomed to His blessings that we fail oftentimes to respond with the gratitude, with the praise and the worship that's due to Him. It's like being able to listen to an incredibly complex and beautiful piece of music with a couple of earbuds and the click of a button. Do you realize how unusual that is in all of human history? I mean, we, we sit, we, it's sort of the background of our life, right? We listen to music, we, the radio's on, or our, 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 our iPod is fired up, or whatever it is. And I mean, how long, how many years, how many centuries... Was that a treat beyond all measure that people could come and listen to incredibly beautiful music, right? We take it for granted. That music is the product of incredible thought and time and creativity and skill and all of that composing and performing and recording and transmitting and all of the hours and hours through all of the years that People had to work to master the skills in each of those different components in order to bring us that music. And we consume it all in a few minutes on our morning jog and then click it off and walk into the house without much of a thought about it, right? And, and that is so often because the God is so abundantly good and His goodnesses are so pervasive in our world. I'm afraid that is how, how we tend to feel towards the Lord sometimes we grow accustomed to His grace and His mercy. Romans chapter 1, God gives testimony of Himself to the world through His creation, through what He's made and His providence, the way He's guided and blessed His world. And the Bible says that His invisible attributes are clearly seen in the things that have been made. But sinful and self-absorbed people enjoy God's good world, and then refuse to give Him the honor as God or to give thanks to Him, Paul says, in gratitude. Turning away from God, the Creator, to enjoy His creation without worshiping the giver is a grave sin indeed, and one from which we ought to repent this morning. And I just hope that as we look at this psalm, we can be reminded with fresh eyes of all that we have for which to give thanks to God. This whole 
beautiful world testifies to a God who gives and gives and gives and who deserves everlasting gratitude. All of heaven and earth waits in anticipation for the Lord to receive the glory that's due to His name. And one day He will have all of the glory and all of the honor that He deserves. And it is our part now to give to Him, not to withhold Him from Him the praise that He deserves, not to forget to get so carried away with our busy lives that we take God's goodness for granted. Praise is due to you, O God in Zion, and to you shall vows be performed. You know that in the Old Testament, the Jews would make a vow. And a vow usually went something like this. O God, if you bless me in a certain way, then I promise to give back to you in some way. You made that vow to the Lord. And then as he answered and answered your prayer, and as he fulfilled and as he blessed, then you would keep your vow. That vow was not meant to be like a transaction between you and God, as if you're sort of paying God off in order to give you what you want. In fact, God rebuked his people for that spirit, right, again and again. He said, you're, you're treating it as, as a kind of quid pro quo. You can, we can never pay God off. What do we have that we did not first, what? Receive. Jesus said, if a servant does his master's will, he will he be rewarded as if he's done something extraordinary? No, he's merely doing his duty. God is not worship with men's hands as though he needed anything. No, God is the one who gives to us life and breath and all things. These vows were not a sort of paying God off to do for them. Rather, their vows were meant to be a kind of expression of gratitude and thanksgiving for God's hearing and answering their prayers and blessing them. It is an acknowledgement that all that they had came from Him and was a gracious answer to their prayers. And that's what, that's what our sacrifices, our offerings are, as we give even our financial offerings to the Lord. These ought to be reminders to us that God is the one who has given to us all things. We're giving back to Him what He has first given to us. And an acknowledgement that He is the provider. All of these goodnesses of God are meant to inspire our praise and thanksgiving to Him from our whole hearts. And in this passage, he mentions four of God's gracious acts that call out for thanksgiving and praise. And you see them in the four main verbs that are used in the, throughout this passage. If you look at verse 3, we'll see that God atones. If we look at verse 4, we see that God brings near and satisfies. He communes with his people. In verse 5, we'll see that he answers. In verse 9, we see that he provides. We give praise and thanks to him to whom it is due. Because, first of all, he is a God who atones. Verse 3, when iniquities, what's the next word? When iniquities, what? Prevail against me, you atone for our transgressions. In the mind of a truly humble person, this is the greatest of all of God's gifts. That God would save a soul like me. That he would atone for my transgressions against him. But of course, in the minds of many, this is of very little consequence. Of course, God should forgive. That's his job, right? 
God's loving. I haven't been that bad. He should just, uh, you know, it shouldn't be any big deal. But this fails to perceive two important things. Number one, the helpless situation that we were in apart from His grace. You know, if you want gratitude to well up in your heart, you need to see how helpless you were apart from His mercies. And that helplessness is communicated in this text in the word prevail. My iniquities are prevailing against me. Prevailing iniquities. They're strong. They're mighty. They go up over me. They are all-consuming. Like the waters of God's flood at the time of Noah prevailed over the earth slowly rising up to cover everything that God had made, including everything in it. And the waters of His justice began and raised and grew, and then they were waist high, and then they were chest high, and then they were neck high, and these people were utterly consumed by their own iniquities. So you and I would be overtaken by prevailing sins that would have risen relentlessly and we would have been consumed by the justice of God. This would be like it was in the days of Moses. When, whenever Moses dropped his hands in prayer, remember this? The Amalekites would what? They would prevail against the people of Israel. They would slowly, inevitably push them back to the brink of utter destruction. And so you and I, except God raised up an intercessor for us, would have been pushed slowly and inevitably back by our prevailing iniquities until we stood at the brink of hell. We were hopeless apart from God. We were in a desperate situation. We could not have extricated ourselves or our enemy was too powerful. Our, our own hearts were given over to side with the enemy of our good and our eternal souls. Let that person who doesn't feel the prevailing power of iniquity really push back against all that God defines as sin and discover how weak he really is, to discover how easily overcome he is. You and I were in a desperate state in the face of prevailing iniquities, slaves with no possible hope of escape, our only hope that someone would come from the outside and emancipate us. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, and no one has ever brought himself back from death, but Jesus, who proclaimed the word with power, come forth. We were in a desperate situation. You were apart from God's initiative and God's grace. Ingratitude fails to perceive the helplessness that we were in, and it fails to perceive the tremendous cost of our forgiveness. This is communicated in the words, when iniquities prevail against me, you... What? What's the next word? When iniquities prevail against me, you atone for our transgressions. For to be delivered from prevailing iniquity, an atonement had to be made. A sacrifice that would appease God's justice, that would cover our wrongdoing. An innocent life that would take the place of the guilty. Behold the man upon the cross, our sins upon his shoulders. 
Behold, the spotless lamb in the temple. Brought to the gate of that temple, and the priest held up the sharp knife, and its throat was split and slit, and hot blood spurted out, and an atonement had to be made as it died under the wrath of God against the sinner. And that atonement was not of the sinner's own doing. It was God's provision for him. Remember how God provided the sacrifice? This was God's idea. God gave the sacrificial system to Israel. Just like God gave the ram caught in the bushes, God provides the atonement. He alone can. We are helpless apart from His initiative. And now I ask you to behold the Lamb of God who is held up with spikes on a cross, the weight of our sin upon His shoulders, the weight of your guilt, all of the weight of the sins of your mind and heart and mouth laid upon Him. The wrath of the justice of God beating down upon Him. His body torn to ribbons. His side pierced. Hot blood spurting forth as He dies under the wrath of the justice of God. Now our forgiveness is no cheap forgiveness. It was at a cost that is dearer than we could ever express. And it is no offering that we could have provided But God Himself met His own justice with sacrifice out of His love and pity for us. And at the end of that great masterpiece of loving atonement, all of the world lay in silent anticipation, even as that land lay in darkness, waiting for that moment calling out for praise and thanksgiving to God that is due to His name. And the greatest praise that you could ever give to God for what He has done in the atonement of Jesus Christ is to cast yourself at the feet of Jesus with love and faith and trust and submission, not as if you could repay Him for by serving Him the rest of your life, but out of thanksgiving and love and amazement for what He has done for you, doing for you and I what we could never do for ourselves. Praise Him for He atones. Not only does He merely atone as if He might forgive us, but then still hold us at arm's length. We can all imagine people forgiving like that, right? Oh, I'll forgive you, but I don't want to have much to do with you. But no, this God not only atones for our sin, He draws us near. He bids us to come into His presence and to have communion and fellowship with Him, even satisfying our souls with His presence. Look at verse 4. Blessed is the one whom you choose to bring near to you, O God, to dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house and with the holiness of your temple. Oh, what an amazing thing it is that God would invite us to come into His presence, the presence of holiness. We who are so sinful. How often have you felt like the prodigal son? (laughs) Like coming to God and saying, God, I have no right on earth to be called your son. I just hope that you'll even look at me as one of your servants, at least that I'll have food to keep me alive. I have no hope. And how does the Father receive us? How does the Father receive us when we come to Him? He welcomes us. He says, bring the 
greatest robe and put a ring on his finger and kill the fatted calf. Let's have a feast. The Lord is lavish in his kindness and in his mercy in inviting us in and calling us to himself and satisfying us with his presence. Can you imagine how grateful that young man must have been for all the days of his life? Nothing is more satisfying than the joy of communion with God. He satisfies, the text says, with the goodness of his house. Nothing satisfies like being drawn near to God. You know what that's like? You know the satisfaction of communing with God, of fellowshipping with Him? You know the joy of His salvation, His presence, His smile, His favor? And of course, this communion with God, this favor from God is nothing but His gracious choice. This text makes that point explicitly, isn't it? Blessed is the one whom you choose and bring near to yourself. We cannot enter God's house, enter God's temple, and enjoy communion with Him by our own choice any more than an Old Testament Israelite could become a priest and enter the temple by his own choice. He was chosen by God. This is not to say that we're without our own responsibility to seek after the Lord. We most certainly are responsible. But it's saying it is to say that our own choice is not the one that's effective. He is the one who calls and chooses and invites and ordains priests in his house. Have you known what it is to be welcomed by God, to be brought in to fellowship and communion with him? You know what it is to have sweet communion with the Savior, to be satisfied with his presence, full of joy. Have you tasted and seen that the Lord is good and wonder? of wonders in spite of all our failings. When we sin and fail and repent and come to him, he receives us into his house again and again and again and again and forgives and reignites that fellowship and that communion with him that was lost. This calls for the highest of praise. This calls for worship and thanksgiving that God should dwell with you. And so when, when we feast today, when you feast this week, remember the God who satisfies, who satisfies you with himself and with communion and fellowship with him. And all of these blessings come through prayer. For in verses 5 to 8, he is a God who answers his people. He is a God who answers Have you known what it is to have God answer you? Verse 5, he says, By awesome deeds you answer us with righteousness. O God of our salvation, the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas. He is a God who hears and answers prayer, which is amazing because of how sinful we are. And prayers of any who come to him in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, not just of Israelites, but of those, as he says here, of the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas. Or like he says up in verse 2, O you who hear prayer to you, all flesh shall come. Jesus himself said, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. doesn't matter who you are. You are invited to come before God and lay your needs out before him if you come to him through Jesus Christ. And in verse 6, we see that the one who answers our prayers is the one 
who by his strength established the mountains and girded with might he is. He is the one, verse 7, who stills the roaring seas, the roaring of the waves, and the tumult of the turbulent nations, the peoples, so that, verse 8, those who dwell on the ends of the earth are in awe of your signs. The hope of our needs being met is in the power of the one who answers. Who is the one that we pray to? He's the one who spoke, and by his strength, by the strength and might of his word, the mountains were brought forth out of the sea. And he is the one who spoke again, and the seas, in all of their turbulent flooding, covered the earth. And he is the one who caused them to subside again by the word of his power. Our Lord and Savior manifested this when he stood in the boat and said, Peace be still. That's the God who answers our prayers. That's the God who brings salvation to all those who call on him. What a God. We sing, Come my soul with every care. Jesus longs to answer prayer. He himself bids you to pray and will never turn away. You are coming to a king. Large petitions with you bring. One uh, for his grace and power are such that one can never ask too much. Have you not seen how, his, how your desires e'er have been granted in what he ordains? Has God not answered your prayers? Has he not shown the strength of his might? Given a word of his power to answer your petitions? And you know what I want to encourage you to do this week? <clears throat> Is to try to carve out some time to be intentional in thinking back over the last year and the way that God has shown himself mighty for you. The way that God has answered your prayers. The way that God has worked on your behalf. We so quickly forget, don't we? We just so quickly forget. And Thanksgiving is a time to remember and to rejoice in all that he's done. To recall the mighty acts of God for you when he caused the mountains to be moved or when he stilled the storms that were raging around you and in you. You look back on those things and give him the praise that is due to his name. God forbid that we would be like the ten lepers who in answer their petition, were healed from their leprosy and ran off to tell the priest. <clears throat> and only one came back to fall on his knees before the Lord Jesus and give thanks. Those answered prayers are waiting to be met with praise and worship, thanksgiving. And not only does, of course, God bring dramatic uh, mountain-moving storm uh, calming answers, but he provides, fourthly, he provides for our everyday needs, our 
desires, he delights us daily with his goodness. This is verses 8 to 13. The end of verse 8, you make the going out of the morning and the evening to shout for joy. What's he talking about? The going out of the morning and the evening. This is sunrise, sunset. To shout for joy. You ever want to shout for joy when you, uh, when you see the beauty that God has made? Twice every day, God performs an ephemeral symphony of light. Each composition as unique as it is stunning. And it doesn't take a psychologist or an anthropologist to tell us that these golden hours bring delight to human hearts. Although that doesn't stop them from doing studies to, uh, to describe those things. And in fact, to uh, try to find some quote-unquote evolutionary reason why our delight in sunrises and sunsets is somehow essential to the survival of our species. It evades only the wise that God has created beauty for beauty's sake to delight our hearts with himself. Morning and evening shout for joy. The heavens declare the glories of God. Who can stand under such a display and not say, Oh God, praise your name. That there is beauty and love in the world is the testimony to every human heart that there is a God. And there is someone to be thanked. God fills the world with beauty and with bounty. In verse 9 he says, You visit the earth and water it. You get the picture here? Here is God in the heavens, all self-sufficient in his being. But he looks down upon our needy estate and he comes and he visits us with the rains from heaven. He greatly enriches the earth. The river of God is full of water, verse 9. And through the rains you provide their grain. So that they, for so you have prepared it. Verse 10, you water its furrows abundantly, settling its ridges and softening it with showers and blessing its growth. You crown the year with your bounty. Your wagon tracks overflow with abundance. That is, everywhere the chariot of God, as it were, goes, in all the paths of God, is a wake of his blessings poured down in showers upon the world. Verse 12, the pastures of the wilderness overflow and the hills gird themselves with joy. The meadows clothe themselves with flocks and the valleys deck themselves with grain and they shout and sing together for joy. Even the earth rejoices and gives thanks to God for His goodness, His provision, the rain and the sun, the growth of the earth, How much more should the sons of men give him praise for all of his benefits to mankind? Has God not blessed us with bounty? I mean, do we not have enough? (laughs) Oh, we are blessed beyond measure. And how often do we complain instead of giving thanks for having to eat the same food again that we just had last night? We're having leftovers. (laughs) 
Oh, we have a bounty. And God deserves the praise that the rains fell this year and watered the earth. And that grain grew across the heartland of America and in the bread baskets of the world. That animals flourished. Is not this God's doing? This is the work of God for which thanks ought to be given. Our tables are so far removed from our fields that we often forget. We just go to the grocery store and pick it up. Our ability to access foods from around the globe, still fresh, has caused us to take this grace for granted. It may be that this psalm was composed for the festival of booths, the feast of booths that God's people observed every fall, which was a reminder to them, this feast sometimes called the Feast of Tabernacles, was a reminder to them of how God actually provided for them food and water even when they were in the the meanest of times, in the wilderness, and to give praise and thanksgiving to Him for the harvest that they would gather in every fall. And so every fall they would take a moment at, these, uh, at the great harvest time to uh, give praise to the Lord. And it's appropriate for us that during our fall, we remember in particular how God has provided food in the world for the good, everything that is needed for the good flourishing of humankind. It's appropriate. Charles Spurgeon said, If we begin with the blessings of the nether springs, we must not forget that for the race of man, the joyous days of harvest are a special season of excessive favor. It is the glory of autumn that the ripe gifts of providence are then abundantly bestowed. It is the mellow season of realization, whereas all before was but hope and expectation. Great is the joy of harvest. Happy are the reapers who fill their arms with the liberality of heaven. Have we not all been supplied with the liberality of heaven? God has provided for you, hasn't he? Can you look back over the year and see the ways that he has met your need again and again and again? Has he let you go hungry? Has he abandoned you? Has he turned his face away from you? Even on those who rebel against him and who mock his name, he causes his rains to fall and his sun to shine. What a gracious God. He deserves the praise and the glory and the thanksgiving that is due. Let us not presume that our needs will be met through our own ingenuity and, and skill. He makes his rain to fall. He causes his sun to shine. Else all of our labors would be in vain. He gives strength and health to your body. He gives work for you to do to supply your daily needs. He grants the skills and the knowledge that you require. He blesses the labors of your hands. And all of his faithful provisions wait in anticipation for 
the loud amen of thanksgiving. Let's grant him what is due. He atones. He draws near and satisfies. He answers prayers and provides for our needs so faithfully. Have you allowed yourself to forget his goodness? This is a time, this is a season to recall, to recount. Count your blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. Have you allowed yourself perhaps even to become bitter at God because of difficult providences? This is a season to repent. A season to be renewed in gratitude for the goodness of your God to someone who deserves nothing but condemnation. Have you allowed yourself to grow accustomed to His goodness? This is a season to be amazed again at the goodness of the Lord. Amen. Let's bow. With heads bowed and eyes closed, let's give Him praise and thanksgiving. Rejoice in the Lord's goodness individually, and then we'll worship Him in praise together. O great God of kindness and mercy, we give You thanks for all the provision that You have made. Lord, you have blessed us so. You've been faithfully taking care of all of your children. Like sheep of your pasture, you have fed us. You've led us to the still waters. You've restored our souls. You've looked after us and protected us in ways that in some cases were very dramatic, delivering us from death. And in other ways, in everyday moments, you have supplied in order to keep us alive. You've given us strength and health. You've given healing when we've asked. You've answered prayers. We remember how we have made petitions for those that we have loved, those that we love, and you have in many cases, answered those in mighty ways. We rejoice. We thank you that you have granted jobs and employment, strength. Lord, we thank you that you have granted us all of the delights of the world. You've given joy to us in the things that you have made. Many times when Our hearts were heavy. You granted us an outpouring of your Holy Spirit to quicken, to awaken, and revive us. Call us back into sweet communion with you. And oh Lord, we give you praise for the faithfulness of your mercies in doing just that. You have given us times of great joy, seasons of delight. Delight in 
the common graces of our families and our friends and special reminders of your mercy to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. We do thank you for our families. We thank you for the love that you put in this world. This is surely an expression of what is good and loving in yourself. We rejoice in our children, grandchildren, our parents, grandparents, the family all around us. We thank you for your church. Thank you for the joy of living our lives together as brothers and sisters in Christ. The way that you have, in your providence, your providence, you have put us into this place to walk this journey of life alongside people who teach and encourage and challenge us, who uphold us in their prayers. Bless you, bless your name forever and ever, Lord, for all that you've done. We give you thanks for our country, our nation, and for the great outpouring of kindness that you've shown to this nation, the ways that you have prospered it beyond anything in all of human history, most especially that you have prospered us in the knowledge of your word, that you have raised up gospel ministers and churches all around this country, that this whole nation has been shaped historically by the gospel, by the word. We bless you for that. We thank you for that. We thank you for your great love for us manifested upon the cross of Calvary. This is the greatest display that anyone could ever imagine of the love that you have. Our hearts are humbled that you would draw us in because of Christ. Praise you. Thank you. Hear and receive our worship from our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen.